0: Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Very grateful to be with you all on this beautiful Sunday uh, afternoon. So about 20 something years ago now, or 20 years ago now, I was in law school, and um, I was the president of the Christian Legal Society. I had a lot of ambitions for my life. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do just yet. I didn't think I was going to be a pastor. Uh, I thought I was going to be a civil rights attorney. I was going to be the next Johnny Cochran. If it doesn't fit, you must have quit. and um, in my duties as a Christian Legal Society president, I really wanted to make sure I was spreading the word, not just about the organization, but about, but about Jesus. And one day, I was in one of my study groups having a conversation with a friend, and I knew he didn't rock with Jesus. And I knew he was far from God, but he was, he was close to me. So we started talking about life and faith. And that day, we had a conversation that I have no idea what impact it had on him but I know what impact it had on me. I think sometimes God has a sense of humor that I thought that I was going to show this brother all these things about life and faith, uh, but that day God used him to radically change the way I saw my own walk with Jesus. I was asking him, like, hey, like, what do you think about, like, Jesus, and what do you think about life and faith? And, you know, he was some days an agnostic, other days an atheist, and maybe some of you find yourself in that position where you don't know what you really believe about God. And we started talking about life and the church and all of the hypocrisy he saw in the church growing up and why he walked away from it. And then he said something that I have remembered and memorized really for, for decades since. He said, but you know what, Jordan? There's, there's one story in the Bible that like, really messes me up. Every time I think about it, I think to myself that this dude Jesus really might truly be the son of God. It wasn't a story about Jesus' compassion, although Lord knows there's some stories that move me to tears when I think about Jesus' compassion for outcasts. It wasn't a story about Jesus' miracles or any of the power that Jesus possessed. It was a story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I remember him telling me, like, Jordan, if you claim to be God, Why would you wash people's feet? And something about that resonated so deeply with him that he realized that that must be so otherworldly that it had to be divine. Now, I went home from that conversation sad, mainly because it exposed something inside of me that I was unaware of prior to that conversation. It exposed that Jordan and all of the great ambition that you have for your life, you don't want to be a servant. You don't want to take the form of a servant like Jesus did. That you have so much ambition for your life, you have so much goals, and service is not even on the list. Let me me read the text from John 13. It says, now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So most of us are familiar with the man Judas. Judas would later betray Jesus, although he was following him. And Jesus was aware of that. Verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So Jesus got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am, so If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, one of the things that's most profound about this text is that what Jesus is calling people to is not just a Saturday morning activity or exercise to do an act of service. Jesus is calling us to see ourselves as servants in the same way that Jesus tells his disciples here in uh, verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from an author by the name of Zach Eswim, his name is Zach Esween, and he wrote a book called "Sensing, Sensing Jesus, and he wrote this quote that has stuck with me since I've read it. He said, everyone wants to do things that are large and famous, but most things that truly matter need small acts of overlooked love over a long period of time. You know, just a chapter before this, Jesus' disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Two of Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. That sounds like a lot of our prayer lives. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Well, Jesus, when you come into your glory, one of us wants to sit at your right, the other one wants, to, wants to sit at your left. Basically, what they were saying is, Jesus, when you get on, put us on. Jesus told them to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. But I'll tell you this one thing. If you want to be great, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. With Jesus, the way up is down. The way to greatness is through service, is through being a servant. Now, we've been in a series called The Good Life, and today admittedly is one of the most difficult propositions on the table, that if you want to have a good life, if you want to have a great life according to Jesus, That you would not just do acts of service, but that you would rather see yourself as a servant. That you would identify, based on what Christ has done for you, that the way you interact at your job, in your relationships, with your roommate, in this world, in this church, is that you take the form of a servant. That there is humility fueling your life. That you're not seeking after great things or a great name, but you are seeking simply to be a servant. Now, one of the things about service that's so fascinating is it truly is doing acts that are overlooked. Uh, when I was about 16, I was a waiter at a, this one restaurant that did a lot of weddings. And um, we would do a lot of like Irish and Italian weddings. And um, every now and then, we'd do a black wedding. I was like, let's go. It's go time, baby. <laughs> and they put on the electric slide. And one time, I hopped on the dance floor. And you know, listen, when the electric slide comes on, as a black person, there's a rule that says that you have to perform the electric slide. And um, it came on, and my maitre d' starts running across the hall and says, Jordan, like, what are you doing? Get off the dance floor. <laughs> and um, I realized that day that if you're the waiter at a catering hall, <laughs> the wedding is not about you. You know, being a waiter, it was, like, painfully obvious that, like, nobody cared. Like, you take the lowest position in the entire thing. I would get to the table, and I would say, hi, my name is Jordan, I'll be you know, waiting at your table for tonight. And they'd say, Jason, get over here. And I was like, actually, it's Jordan, but um, I'll come over here with the water. And really, the, the ideal situation was that nobody noticed you. Nobody paid attention to you. Now, this bugs me out, because all of my life, I've wanted to do great things. I, I've wanted to do things that are large. and I want to do things that actually matter. One of the things that I talk to people now as they get to the, really the end stages of their life is, have, has what I've done mattered? All of us one day will face this question. If you're in your 20s and your 30s, you might not be asking this question as much right now, but one day you will ask the question, did what I do matter? Was it significant enough? Did I waste my life? Here's what Jesus wants you to know now that you will be, that you will be comforted by 50 years from now if you take the form of a servant. Don't seek the title and the ambition. Seek to serve people. Now, you might be a judge. You might be a lawyer, a partner in a law firm. You might be a doctor. You might might be a surgeon. Wherever you are, wherever the Lord has you in this life, it doesn't mean that you quit your job, but it does mean that the way you interact with your job, the way you interact with your relationships, is as a servant. You seek to serve others. One of the things that... A challenge for me, if you're like me, is that uh, I have discovered over the years that this is difficult for me to truly take the form of a servant because I am naturally self-centered. The first question I usually ask myself is this, what's in it for me? Whenever somebody asks me to do something, the first thing that runs through my brain is this, what's in it for me? Now, there are people who I love dearly, and I'll certainly be willing to be more sacrificial and more serving of them, but there is this natural Piece of me that always thinks me first, and I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, over the years, I've learned to pray this prayer from Psalm 119:36. David says, "This turn my heart toward your statutes, toward your statutes, and not toward selfish gain." So much of my life is really pointed towards the selfish gain that I hope to get out of things. And really, truly, if we are going to follow Jesus in this way, for those of you who are newer to faith. And those of you who have been rocking with Jesus for a while, today's message is not really complicated. Jesus wants you to choose service. He wants you to choose to become a servant, that if you're going to follow him faithfully, the way that Jesus is going to grow you, the way that you're going to understand God the Father better, the way that your faith is going to be nurtured and grown, is in every interaction that you find yourself, that you would take the form of, of a servant. Now, this world needs more servants. Your friendships need more servants. Instead of people asking, What is this gonna you know, do for me? Our friendships need more people who see ourselves as servants, that we seek to serve each other in love. If you wanna show me any friend group of people, show me any group of people who are committed to the other person and saying, Man, I just wanna, I see this person is in a difficult situation or whatever, whatever they find themselves in. And the question I'm asking myself is, How do I serve them in, in love? you will see an amazing friendship and you will see really health in the person's life. But show me any group of people where they're asking themselves what's in this for me and I'll show you dysfunction. Your marriages, they don't need more vacations, they don't need more passport stamps, they need more service. They need two people who choose us over me. Show me any relationship, any relationship. I don't care how how much money they make, I don't care their trips, I don't care their bank account, any of these things. If they are committed to me over us, it's not going to work. There will be very little intimacy. On the other side, show me any relationship where two people are committed to one another in acts of servanthood to say, I will choose us over me. I will serve the other person in love, and I will show you a thriving relationship. You are the main problem in your relationships. It's you and your selfishness. It's me and my selfishness. I'm the main problem in my relationship. And so Jesus is trying to unearth for us the good life, the life that is freeing, the life that is loving, the life that is connected to other people, the life that is connected to him. And in order to do that, we need to take this form of servanthood in our lives. So to follow Jesus means that you take the identity of a servant, trusting that God will use this to form and to shape you. Now, the best way to become a servant is by committing to become a servant and by doing small acts a service. Let's look back to verse 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you talk about them one day at a DNA group. You are blessed if you do them. Now, what, over the years, I have misunderstood this concept of discipleship. Discipleship, I used to think it was more about learning new concepts. And certainly God wants you to learn things. More than just learning new information, what Jesus wants to do to form you is through following him and being obedient to the next step that he calls you to. So the way that Jesus wants to shape you, the way that Jesus wants to form you is by Jesus telling you to do something that you would not ordinarily do on your own. You saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you in this and trusting him that he is going to shape and form you. And that is a process of discipleship. And here's why this is so painful and difficult for us. Because nobody would choose the path of servanthood on their own. And quite literally, Jesus is calling us to a path that we would never choose on on our own. And this is the difference between Christianity and cultural Christianity. Discipleship, real Christianity versus cultural Christianity. We've said this before at Renaissance a number of times. Cultural Christianity is adding Jesus to the life that we've already chosen. So I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus juice on this and ask him to bless me. Discipleship is saying, Jesus... I will follow you. I don't know where you're taking me. This doesn't make any sense to me. This actually feels counterproductive. This is not what I signed up for. Jesus is saying, now you're on the path of discipleship. So whether it's servanthood or any other topic, what, one thing that we try to get at in every single week here at Renaissance is for us to sense, what is the Lord's invitation for us in this moment, what is God calling us to do, that we will be people that respond to what God is calling us to do, trusting that it will form us and shape us. So really, after I heard that, that conversation with my friend uh, decades ago now, um, I went to my church, my uh, little country church in North Carolina, and um, I really committed to becoming more of, of a servant. And over the past 20 years, I've learned a lot um, about my life, I've learned a lot about my deficiencies I've learned a lot about what it means to follow Jesus through becoming a servant. Let me reread verses 12 through 15 again. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. So, if you and I want to be discipled by Jesus, we need to commit ourselves not just to learning new things, but to taking the pathway for our lives that Jesus is calling us to live. So, there's a couple of things that I think service will do for you, a life committed to service will do for you. Number one, it's going to reveal your temptation to make excuses. Man, baked into this text is so much profound wisdom about all the excuses that Jesus could have taken. First and foremost, let's look at the people whose feet Jesus washed. First and foremost, he washed Judas's feet. Now, in just 24 hours, Judas was going to betray him. I'm not washing nobody's feet, first of all. <laughs> I'm definitely not washing the feet of the person who's going to betray me. To me the number one thing in life that matters is loyalty. And if I know you're not a loyal person, why would I serve you? Now, this is not to mean that Jesus wants you to select toxic people in your life and for you to have no boundaries. God loves boundaries. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to have all these different things. But I'm so curious about all the excuses that Jesus could have taken and he didn't take any of them. He washed the feet of the person who would betray him. That takes our little category, our little box of what it means to be a servant, and it blows it up. Not just was the betrayer there, but also the denier, Peter, who would talk big stuff about all that he was going to do uh, just that same day. The next day, Peter would deny Jesus. Jesus washed the feet of the person who would betray him and the person who would deny him. The rest of the disciples weren't much better. They would all desert him. You know, just a couple of hours from that moment, Jesus would tell his disciples, I am exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. I need you, my friends, to stay awake and to pray with me, please. Over and over again, Jesus would come back and he'd find them asleep at the job. They couldn't even do the one thing that Jesus was asking them to do for him. So you have a betrayer, you have a denier, and you have people who have fallen asleep quite literally on him and not done the one thing that he asked them to do and Jesus served them. Not only that, but on his way to the cross. Jesus was 24 hours removed from the cross at this point. And one of my mentors says it like this. Um, Even if our own troubles are great, we should still serve. Jesus washed his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. Think about that. Now, I'm not saying that if your life right now is complete chaos, that you should ignore Wisdom to heal, wisdom to set boundaries and to do things. But I am saying this, whenever you commit your life to a life of servanthood, you will find an abundance of excuses. And Jesus didn't take those excuses. He found a way to become a servant. A servant serves. You know, in your relationships, you will find a thousand excuses why you shouldn't serve the other person in love. A thousand. Don't take it. If you want a thriving relationship, don't take that excuse. In our church, you will find a hundred reasons to not serve sacrificially. Don't take them. There is something that God wants to do in your life through the long process of you taking the form of a servant and committing yourself to that. Number two, a life committed to service will make you love people more. The people that you serve, you will love more. Period. Period. The people that you serve, you will love more. Here's why. Actions of love will always lead to feelings of love. Actions of distaste, of um, not acknowledging or not caring about people will lead to you not caring about them. One of the things that i found to be one of the truest things that I know would be true about life and relationships and the way that we operate is this. You should never wait for your feelings to lead you to want to become a servant. If that is what you're waiting for, you're going to wait a very long time. I've never woken up and said, man, I just want to be unknown today, Lord. And, Man, I hope nobody pays attention to me. I want to do the thing that is the most thankless thing today, that nobody's going to notice. I want to do that today, Lord. Over the years, though, I found myself, when I do those things, I love the people that I serve more Don't wait to feel like you want to serve, because that's never going to happen. Number three, service breaks the power of self-centeredness in our lives. You know, one of the best ways to know how to explain this is this. My wife and I, we're pretty committed every Friday to a Sabbath, because for the first couple of years of life and ministry, I was really unhealthy. I was obsessed with with all the work that I was doing. I was turning into a human doing, not a human being. And so we learned this radical principle of a Sabbath that every seven days we would stop. And for, seven, and for an entire day, I would rest from all work activity. I was not a pastor. I was not a church planter. I was Jordan Rice, husband to Jessica, father to Jameson and Josiah, son to Gail and Roger, brother to Jared. And in that period, over the years, what the Lord has done is he has used those Sabbath, those Sabbath days to break this never-ending obsession that I have with production, and without that break, I would automatically revert back to a human doing, not a human being. Now, God will use your acts of servanthood to break the power of self-centeredness in your life, that if you wait to feel less self-centered, it's never going to happen. God, Jesus is inviting you to take the form of a servant, to do as he tells us to do. And that act, that act of following Jesus faithfully will break the power of self-centeredness in your life. But it won't happen immediately. But God uses this thing very powerfully in our lives. One of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 6 and 7. It says, don't be deceived. Paul would say, don't get it twisted. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, he or she will also reap because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who sows in obedience to Jesus, will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing the thing that Jesus is calling you to do, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Now, I think what Paul is telling us in this text is that the more we consume the more you will want to consume. And you and I will drift further and further away from being a servant. And we need regular acts, regular service in our lives, in our relationships, at our jobs, with our roommates, in our churches that will break the power of self-centeredness in our life. Self-centeredness is a beast that is a giant in our lives. And we need regular interruptions and breaks to remind us that that is not what we should be about. Number four, um, I think it really revealed my faulty understanding of servanthood. By committing acts of, by committing yourself to be a servant, you will really realize your faulty understanding of what you thought it was going to be. So again, I heard this, you know, I had this conversation with my friend and I committed myself to becoming more of a servant and I was at my church in Durham, North Carolina, and I joined the parking lot ministry. And I joined the parking lot ministry, this is in in North Carolina, people have cars, they drive on the roads. And um, I was like, I'm going to be the best parking lot attendant this church has ever seen. And I was, I was fantastic. But the problem was nobody noticed how fantastic I was. And for the first week, I was like, they haven't seen it yet, but they didn't see me with these wands. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Next week, somebody's going to see me and they're going to be really impressed. And week after week after week, all I actually got were complaints. And I realized something about myself that might not be true of you. I was doing it still for recognition. I was doing the right thing for the, with the wrong motive. I wanted to be seen as an amazing servant. I wanted to be recognized as the most humble person in the room who's doing the parking lot. And I was hustling backwards in so many different uh, ways. And you won't notice this about yourself until you start doing it, until you commit yourself in your relationships, until you commit yourself in this church, until you commit yourself at your job, To be a servant, that you walk in thinking, not how can these people use, how can these, how can, um, not asking the question of what's in it for me, but how can I bless and benefit these people? Now, I do also want to be really clear. If you are a brain surgeon, the best way to be a servant is by doing brain surgery really well. Seriously. This is not calling you to like quit your job. If you are a phenomenal singer, the best way to serve people is by singing well and, you know, but it, it means that your motivation is, is different and it's, it's changed. It's not for glory. It's not for recognition. But you do it for other people. Whatever it is you find yourself doing, whether it's mopping floors or operating on brains, that you do it for the glory of God to bless and benefit other people with the right heart and motivation behind it. Last thing it's shown me is that it's, it's certainly shown me that real growth takes time. Everything that God wants to do in your life that's good is going to take a long time. If you say, Jordan, you know what? I heard your little sermon. Uh, Lil's a a hate word, by the way. I heard your little sermon on servanthood, and you know what I'm saying? I I did it for three weeks, and just, uh, it just didn't feel right. You know what I'm saying? The vibes were still off after a couple of weeks. So I stopped. Um, Please don't email me that in three weeks, because what God wants to do in your life is a deep work of discipleship. It's not gonna come through one day reading a book and having the sky split open from you and and learning some new profound truth that is just something that nobody has ever heard before. It's going to be through the slow and simple act of committing yourself to follow Jesus against your own ambition and against your own desire and allowing Jesus to do the slow, painful work of discipleship in your life to grow you. So be patient. Today, you might find yourself making a commitment to do something that in six weeks, six months, six years, You're going to find little internal motivation to do. And I want you to remember your commitment, not the feeling uh, of this moment. And so how does the gospel fuel us to be servants? Certainly, Jesus could have guilted people into doing it. He could have said, I'm about to go to the cross for you. The least you could do is become a servant. Uh, He doesn't do that. Jesus calls us to be uh, servants. And the word that Jesus used is this word doulos. And essentially, doulos in that concept, in that um, in, 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 uh, in antiquity, Dulos was a person who oftentimes could not afford their way into the country. So if I wanted to become to live in a Roman province and I was coming from a town and I could not afford my way towards citizenship, I would sell myself into servanthood so that someone else could pay the way for me to get into a kingdom that I could not earn on my own. And what Jesus is basically saying is to see ourselves as servants. That once upon a time, you and I lived in the kingdom of darkness and that we were sensing and being called by Jesus into the kingdom of light. The problem is we could never afford our way into God's kingdom on our own. But Jesus, our sacrificial savior, paid the the price for us on the cross. And now Jesus invites us to live a life cheerfully as, as servants, acknowledging what has been done for us. And if you read the New Testament, authors self-identify as servants because they are no longer asking the question, what's in it for me? But now they're asking the question, what's been done for me? And so we sing the songs about the cross. We sing the songs about the old rugged cross, what Jesus had to go through for us so that we can be made right with, with God. And Jesus invites us to look at this cross as we consider what is an appropriate response to him with our lives. And so, today we're having a crew fair at Renaissance because Renaissance is one out of many places that you can exercise what we're talking about today um, as a servant. Your service at Renaissance, it matters. It matters. You know, one of the things that I've found over the years is every time we have a baptism service at Renaissance, it's always so beautiful and so emotional, and people usually come up to me after to thank me for all the work that me and the staff are doing, and I say, yes, I get it, but there were so many people as a part of this person's story before they ever found themselves in the water. So many people were a part of the process. They were a part of the work that God was doing in this person's life just through their faithful acts of, of service. I think about one of our up-and-coming leaders here at Renaissance, Betsy City. And uh, I had the opportunity of speaking to Sweet City this week about her life and her journey so, so far with Jesus at, at Renaissance. And to hear that her first steps into this church weren't physically in the church, they were through the podcast that we uh, have on Sundays. And that podcast does not magically hit iTunes. It's because we have a group of faithful volunteers who set up wires, who set up recordings, who upload things, and they're just faithful in their presence to put things together. Then one day she found herself in the Halls of Renaissance Church, also known as PS76. Now, the reason we are allowed to be here is because the principal and the custodial staff, they like us being here. You want to know why? Because we take good care of the space. We put things back exactly the way they're supposed to be put back. And that's not me doing that. That is a crew full of restoration volunteers who every single week Follows the pictures and does the really thankless task of putting a room back exactly like it was so that we can continue to have a good relationship with this school. Before Betsy ever stepped foot in this uh, building, it was because someone worked really hard to make sure that we have a weekly good reputation with the school to maintain our status here. When she first walked in the door, she saw some smiling faces. It wasn't me and my wife, it wasn't the staff, it was some amazing first impressions volunteers who made her feel, feel welcome. And Betsy told me that one day she found herself hearing Lester's invitation to come down for prayer. It wasn't Jordan who prayed for her. It was one of our leaders, Constance, who prayed for her at the end of a service of one of our volunteers. And she talks about just feeling so emotional that day and so warm and welcomed. And eventually, City um, would uh, take that step of faith to get into some water that was filled up by our transformation team who came here to church hours, hours in advance to set up a baptistry, to fill it up with hot water, warm water, hopefully, so it wasn't cold. So that when she made her proclamation of faith, it could be something we could all benefit from and to see these beautiful things. Now, even before that, actually, Betsy was at, in our foundations class, And our foundations class being run by our amazing volunteer table leaders who commit themselves to coming on Tuesday nights in person to lead a table and to guide conversations. What does this all add up to? It adds up to a lot of acts that oftentimes get overlooked mattering. Your service matters, it is a part of the story that God wants to tell and God wants us to commit to being a people of service. I don't want anybody feeling guilty. I don't want anybody feeling pressured. But I do want you to feel the invitation from the Lord that you would take this to heart and that you would take his invitation to you to go and to do the same thing that he's calling us to do seriously. And after service, we're going to have our crew fair where you can learn about the different crews of Renaissance um, and how you might be able to plug in to that so that God will continue to work in your life and grow you as a disciple through your acts of obedience. Now, I realize also that some people here who are new, it's your first Sunday, and please know that we would love for you to come by the cafeteria as well, but the only thing we want you to do is to fill out a connection card uh, to give us your information. You can take a slice of pizza and go on your merry way. Uh, but for those of you who consider Renaissance to be a little bit more than a first invite, we would welcome you to live out your discipleship journey as a servant here with us at Renaissance. We pray for us. Lord, when we leave this building today, may we commit ourselves to following you, our servant savior. Lord, in our relationships, may we ask the question, not what's in it for me, but what's been done for me. And may we live as servants. May the reputation of our church not be on the hills we're willing to die for, but the people we're willing to serve. Lord, I pray for every obstacle that's in our way right now. I pray that you would give us the fuel and the fire to live and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.